1: Is modern racism a product of secularization and the decline of Christian universalism? The debate has raged for decades, but up to now, the actual racial views of historical atheists and freethinkers have never been subjected to a systematic analysis. In his new book, Race in a Godless World, Atheism, Race and Civilization, 1850-1914, Nathan Alexander sets out to correct the oversight. The book centers on Britain and the United States in the second half of the 19th century, a time when popular atheist movements were emerging and skepticism about the truth of Christianity was becoming widespread. This newly embraced secularization created a paradox. How could Western civilization represent the pinnacle of human progress, as most white atheists accepted, when the majority of these societies still believed in Christianity? The result of this tension was a profound ambivalence regarding issues of racial and civilizational superiority. At times, white atheists assented to scientific racism and hierarchical conceptions of civilization. At others, they denounced racial prejudice and spoke favorably of non-white, non-Western civilizations. Covering racial and evolutionary science, imperialism, slavery, and racial prejudice in theory and practice, Alexander's book provides a much-needed account of the complex and sometimes contradictory ideas espoused by the transatlantic community of atheists and freethinkers. It also reflects on the social dimension of irreligiousness, exploring how working-class atheists' experience of exclusion could make them sympathetic to other marginalized groups. Nathan Alexander is a Canadian historian researching the history of race and racism and the history of atheism and secularization. He finished his PhD at the University of St. Andrews in the UK and was most recently a postdoctoral fellow at the Max Weber Centre for Advanced Cultural and Social Studies with the University of Erfurt in Germany. He joins me today to talk about his latest book. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Secularism. My name's Carrie Lynn Evans, and I'm joined today by Nathan Alexander to talk about his book, Race in a Godless World, Atheism, Race, and Civilization, 1850 to 1914. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks uh, for having me.
1: So I'd like to start by asking you a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in your field.
0: Right. Um, So, well, (laughs) I got interested in in uh, the history of race and racism, um, during my master's degree. And during that time, actually, I was sort of undergoing a religious transformation, I suppose. Um, I went from being a Christian to being an atheist around that time. Um, so, uh, when I was doing my master's and working on, uh, the history of race and racism, I was realizing all of the ways that, um, religion intersected with race and, and vice versa. Uh, but I was also realizing that um, there were no real studies looking at um, the ways atheism or um, not unbelief sort of intersected with with race and racism. So that's sort of how I got interested in this topic, and then eventually I would go on to do my PhD about that, um, and that sort of formed the basis for the book.
1: Okay, fantastic. So first, perhaps, outline for us in broad terms the major debate that is at hand here. One side argues that the rise of secularism in the late 19th century was directly responsible for enabling and justifying racist views, and then the other side argues that actually it was Christian beliefs that were more detrimental here. So how does each side elaborate these arguments?
0: Right. Um, so I think I should just say at the start, I mean, these are not... <clears throat> these are sort of arguments I've sort of picked up in the secondary literature, but there's not specific arguments saying, you know, on the one side, secularism causes uh, racism or Christianity causes racism. I mean, not, not quite so um, explicit as that. Um, But taking, say, taking the first uh, point about secularism um, sort of leading to racism, uh, one could sort of make the argument that uh, in the, in the 19th century in the 18th and 19th centuries um sort of christianity the foundations of christianity begin to be questioned um the idea that um all humans are uh created by god um, created in the image of god that every all humans descend from adam and eve directly Um, these are all beginning to be questioned and uh, some people are thinking of humans in terms of um being part of the natural world, um, being just like any other um, species of animal. And so this leads some thinkers to argue that, you know, perhaps humanity is divided into different races. And then from there, we can say um, different races uh, might be superior or inferior to each other. Um, so this is sort of one, one way you can argue that uh, secularism or the decline of religious authority Opens the way to uh, thinking about um, race in sort of hierarchical terms. That it opens the way for racism. So that's one side, sort of, of the of the story. <clears throat> but um, on the other hand, uh, people could argue, actually, um, it was Christianity that uh, that sort of paved the way for for racism. So you could point to the ways in which um, the Bible justifies slavery uh, in a different in different ways. How this urge to uh, proselytize to spread the gospel around the world, how this can lead to imperialism, how this can lead to viewing um, other cultures, other peoples as, as inferior because they don't have, um, you know, they don't share the same religion. They share a quote unquote inferior religion. Um. Yeah. So all of these, and, and also I should, and also this um, Christianity's long history of anti-Semitism, um, and the way that this could be um, sort of treated in in biological terms, uh, and how yeah how that could could sort of lead to thinking in terms of uh, distinct sort of races. Um, so yeah. So there there are these two kind of competing uh, theories.
1: So give us a sense of the cultural context in this period as well. Um, what important developments were going on in the world that may have had a significant impact on these issues?
0: So, so I should say my, my two, um, the two countries that I'm looking at are Britain and the U S. Um, so in the 19th century, uh, the big contexts are sort of the rise of, of imperialism. Um, of course, uh, european countries had been um, sort of expanding around the world uh, for the uh, previous centuries but really in the 19th century this really begins to ramp up um, especially you know new technology enables um, more and more conquests um, in the us uh, well slavery um, exists obviously and then it's uh, uh, it stops after the Civil War, and so th- there is debates about um, how to uh, integrate um, uh, the descendants, or former slaves, or the descendants of slaves, into um, into the society, and what what rights they should be given, and so on. Um, so that's one one sort of context, and the other context is sort of the, the religious context um, that. In the late 19th century, we see uh, a growing uh, movement of, of atheists and other sorts of non-believers. Um, so they're, they're beginning to become more outspoken. Um, they're they're forming organizations and they've got um, newspapers and books and things that are, are putting out their arguments um, in a way that really didn't happen uh, before in such an explicit way.
1: To go back, back to, uh, to um uh, uh, one of the issues, issues at hand, hand that you kind of already hand alluded hand to hand. and that's about the uh origins of humanity whether you take a christian view about uh adam and eve versus uh darwinistic view or an evolutionary view uh of something else so so tell us what are monogenesis and polygenesis which groups advocated for which side in this debate and what do these competing narratives have to do with racism?
0: Right. So monogenesis means um, single origin and polygenesis means uh, multiple origins. So uh, monogenesis is sort of a, uh, a theory that says, you know, all, all of humanity has a single origin. Um, all, All races have a single origin and typically, in the, sort of the Christian view, this is an Adam and Eve; um, they're the literal ancestors of all of humanity. Um, on the other side is is polygenesis, which says that they are distinct human groups. Um, they're not; they all have a separate origin, so they're not related to each other. Um, so they're they're permanently separate, and um, this this means, for example, that. Um, uh, members of a different races couldn't um, procreate together, or they would produce offspring that are um, in some ways defective or something like this. Um, so obviously, so the, this polygenesis view, it goes against the Christian view because it's, it's sort of denying that, that all humans are descended from Adam and Eve. And that's, that's the Christian view. Um and it 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 poses a further challenge because if that's true, if if it's true that Adam and Eve uh, aren't aren't the parents of all of humanity, um, the original sin that that Adam Adam and Eve commit in the Garden of Eden doesn't doesn't get ba- passed down to all of humanity, and therefore um, Jesus's salvation also doesn't get passed down to all of humanity, only to you know, a select few of these um, direct ancestors of, of Adam. So um, so this debate has implications for for race, but also for um, theology. Uh, so this means, um, yeah, uh, you know, Christians typically support uh, monogenesis and atheists are they're interested in exploring sort of polygenesis because it it does sort of cast out on the Adam Eve story and more generally the entire uh, foundation of Christianity. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's also possible to have a sort of a monogenesis in a secular way. But maybe we can get into that uh, later.
1: Yeah, let's talk about a little in more detail about Charles Darwin and how he figures into this picture. Um, so how did atheists in the 19th century incorporate these ideas into their understanding of race?
0: Right. So, um, yeah, so, so Darwin, um, Darwin was a, uh, an unbeliever uh, in Christianity. Um, and so he, and he, he put forward this uh, idea of evolution that was, um, a kind of monogenesis, so he definitely didn't believe in uh, like the literal uh, truth that Adam and Eve um, were the parents of all of humanity. Um, but he did have have this idea that all of humans and indeed all, all species had a single origin. Like we all share a common ancestor, uh, although this is um, naturalistic and not um, not, not religious. Um, so So definitely, uh, atheists were, were able to sort of use, uh, Darwin's ideas, um, because they did undermine, uh, sort of the idea that, um, humanity was, was created specifically uh, or especially by God, So they're interested in Darwin's theories and they, they did incorporate evolution into their, into their arguments, but it's also true that, um, one can have, uh, ideas about evolution that are, um, sort of informed by polygenesis as well. So you could argue that, um, different, um, different species of ape, of apes were the ancestors of different races so that, um, evolution is still true. It's just that there are sort of separate pathways, um, to each human race. Or you could argue that, um, Humanity had a single origin, but nonetheless, um, soon after humans evolved, they, they took very different evolutionary paths. And this leads to um, the development of different races. So, the, so the, this sort of preserves a kind of polygenesis within evolution. Um, but some, I mean, but some atheists were also uh, follow, obviously followers of Darwin and they're the sort of this idea of a kind of secular monogenesis.
1: If I recall correctly, you kind of found that uh, you you could take whichever belief you wanted and mold it to fit whatever your views were on race to begin with right
0: yeah I think I think that's yeah, I think that's right and I mean also um, sometimes the views you know they're not totally coherent even sort of within the same thinker you know they people pick and choose um, different aspects of of uh, you know theories that they like, and you know some some people liked Darwin, but they said nonetheless. I think um, you know I agree with Darwin, but I do think he's wrong about um, all races having a single origin. Um, so yeah, so I mean I think yeah, it really does does come down in part to like you know what what argument you sort of want to make about race, and then you'll um, find find the evidence and theories that um, you want to have supporting that.
1: Right, and you write that Darwin's theories influenced people's ideas about the development of civilizations as well, almost maybe close to what we would call social Darwinism today. So, can you tell us what was going on here?
0: Yes. Yeah, so um, so people, yeah, in the nineteenth century, were sort of looking out at at the world and different different societies, and this well, actually, this idea goes back to the Enlightenment that basically that there's sort of a single path. That every society takes, you know, you begin as a hunter-gatherer, then you develop agriculture, then you you uh, industrialize, and then you sort of develop a modern society. So basically, people people at this time sort of thought that there was kind of a linear path um, that that uh, civilizations took, and so thinkers at this time um, looked around and um, you know identified uh, societies around the world that. And said, you know, they're at different levels of civilization. Like they're on different, different pathways to, um, to like a modern society. Um, so and 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 yeah, people in the 19th century, like particularly after Darwin, began to sort of um, incorporate the idea of like a natural selection uh, into the way societies develop. So, um, you know, if a society faced struggles this might be a way in which they could advance to a higher level of civilization. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's how sort of, uh, evolution kind of fits into the way people look at, um, civilizations around the world
1: and you discovered perhaps a rather surprising sense of affinity felt by atheists with what they at the time deemed the savage races uh due to what they felt was a shared persecution at the hands of more powerful christians so that must have been a fascinating discovery were you surprised by that
0: yeah definitely i was i was really surprised by that um i mean i think i mean i think like when when someone's studying you know race in the 19th century you know, it's not it's not surprising to find people arguing that you know the one race is superior to another. I mean, that's uh, that's not surprising. But it's really interesting to me, like to find that these um, white atheists were really sort of going against the grain of their society and saying, and against the grain of these ideas that that said, um, you know, savage quote unquote savage races are are inferior. Um, these these atheists were actually saying, you know, well, actually, maybe maybe there's some positive um, uh, virtues to these these so-called savage uh, groups. And so uh, particularly, um, well, it it happened that many, many um, atheists in the 19th century came from the working classes. So they're, um, you know, they're they're a bit poorer than the, the rest of society. And, and they see that, you know, they're living in a very unjust, unjust society. Um, and they're looking out at these, um, again, quote unquote, savage groups. Um, but they say, you know, the, the, these societies look a lot more egalitarian than, than their own. And so they're thinking like, maybe, maybe this, these societies are actually in some way superior to ours. They've got, um, you know, more pure ideas about about charity and and sort of ensuring everyone, um, you know, everyone benefits equally in a society, um, and so on. So yeah, so that was definitely a big surprise to come across this, um, this sort of dialogue. I really, I didn't, I didn't expect it really.
1: So, do you think it's fair to call these atheists anti-imperialist or anti-colonial, or is that too strong? Mm-hmm.
0: I think it might be a bit too strong. Definitely. They were, I think they're sort of skeptical of imperialism. Like they're, they're definitely questioning whether, whether it was the right thing to sort of, um, you know, trample over these cultures and impose Western lifestyle. Definitely. They, they definitely didn't like Christian missionaries doing that. Um, but I think, uh, while they were skeptical, I think there is also um some who who nonetheless thought they believed in more more a sort of secular civilizing uh project, so they didn't want to see the people people in these other societies um convert to Christianity, but they wouldn't mind seeing them you know adopt a sort of secular secular lifestyle or worldview. um so I do think it, it would be too much to say they're, you know, completely opposed to, anti, or to imperialism, but they were definitely skeptical of it and more, more skeptical than their, their contemporaries.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So you write that Western atheists also took a decidedly different attitude from their Christian compatriots towards India, China, and the Far East. So how do they understand the Eastern religions and cultures?
0: It's it's really interesting because, well, they, they see these kind of Eastern religions um, as, well, in some sense, they, they see them more as sort of secular worldviews. So like Confucianism in in China, they, they don't see this really as a, a supernatural religion, but more of just someone, um, sort of like more of an ethical system, an ethical guide to life. Um, and even like Buddhism, um, again, they see, they see that not as necessarily a supernatural religion, but more as a ethical philosophy, I suppose. So it's, it's quite interesting again that, you know, in in the 19th century, I guess most of, um, most of say like white, white people in Britain and and the U S might, you know, look down on these, these other Eastern cultures. But again, uh, atheists saw them as in some ways, uh, compatriots, I guess that they both shared a sort of a secular, um, ethical, ethical mindset. Um, yeah, but I mean, and that, that sort of, um, well they, they, um, and they, they also sort of identified um, free thinkers in, in these societies to other sort of non-believers. Um, and they report on um, the positive reception of, of uh, atheist or other sorts of uh, scientific works, for example, in, in these societies. So I think they, yeah, they saw them as, as in some ways quite similar to themselves.
1: Interesting. Um, I guess they would have had some degree of contact, actual contact with these. Uh, like I'm thinking India, especially, mm-hmm. obviously Britain was there. Um, I wonder how much contact your average um, American or or British atheist would have had with China or, or cultures of the far East. Yeah. Was this well, speculation from afar or.
0: Yeah, I think it probably, it probably was. Um Yeah, definitely. It's true. Like India is, um, there was more, uh, more direct experience, I suppose, with, with India. Um, given that, you know, people could could travel there and, and vice versa, that there were lots of Indians, um, living in, living in Britain. Um, but actually, so yeah, I do. I do think yeah, like uh, accounts in of China and Japan, like probably these are second account, secondhand accounts of of people who've traveled there, or or in cases of um, uh, people from China or Japan going to um, uh, the U.S. or Britain. Um, there was, I mean, there are there are cases. So and, and a really interesting one that I found is this guy from China called uh, Wang Chin Fu. So he was, um, he was born in China and he, but he was raised by American missionary parents. Um, but then like, as he grew up, he went to the U S um, and he was a Christian there, but he, he soon lost his faith and became a free thinker. And actually, um, you know, it's funny because he gave, he, he called himself, um, like the first, like missionary, like secular missionary or something from China to the, to the, uh, to the U S. Um, and he wrote, um, an article in, or I guess a series of articles in the North American review in the late 19th century. Um, it's called why, why I am a heathen and there he's sort of talking about, um, you know, why, well, he uses the term heathen sort of ironically, because that's what, you know, Christians call, you know, non non Christian peoples, um, but he he sort of makes an argument for kind of a secular secular sort of worldview. Um, so it's I mean it is true then that you know that uh, direct information about some of these countries is not not available, but it, but there are cases of of like like Wang Xinfu, of, of actual Chinese people coming to the U.S. or or to Britain and and speaking about. Um, their, their backgrounds and, and sort of, uh, in his case, uh, like his secular sort of free thinking worldview.
1: And, and this is what I think makes your next chapter so interesting because, um, it's almost like where the rubber meets the road, right. About their racial ideas. Clearly white atheists have a wide variety of really interesting ideas about race and science. Some of them more objective and evidence-based than others. Um, but maybe it is kind of, in the abstract, right? And so, um, what about African Americans? Um, uh, what were the white atheist views towards the black folks living among them?
0: Yeah. So be- before the Civil War, there's—oh, well, this isn't something I talk about a lot in my book, but but there are um, there are a lot of abolitionists who are free thinkers. Um, so that there's sort of that tradition there before the Civil War, uh, but mostly I focus on. The, the aftermath of the civil war um, and what's uh, sort of how, how um, the descendants of slavery are, are sort of re- reintegrated into, into society or not. Um, anyway, so I found that, yeah, like you say, like this is a case where it moves beyond sort of abstract theorizing about people halfway around the world. Like these are people, Within within one's own borders, so um, so it is a, a different sort of case. Um, but I found uh, a diversity of views among among atheists. On the one side, there are there are those who um, who take a a more uh, we'll say racist view that. Um, uh, African Americans shouldn't have the right to vote, or it was a mistake to give them the right to vote. Um, that you know, segregation is is okay, and, and things like this. Um, but again, I did find uh, strong cases of of atheists speaking out against uh, these racist ideas, speaking out against um, lynching, for example, or against uh, the ways. Uh, new civil rights after after the end of the Civil War um, were sort of rolled back um, towards the end of the the nineteenth century. so one one key figure here is uh, Robert Ingersoll, who was one of probably the the most famous um, white atheists or agnostic in the the late nineteenth century in the u s. Um, but he was um, yeah, he was quite outspoken about uh, defending the rights of African Americans, and yeah, I mean, he he tried to use his his platform to speak out on the, on their behalf. Um, yeah, so so there there is this sort of again this this diversity of, of views on on that question.
1: And it seems like um, your research points in the direction that by the turn of the century, atheists had pretty much come down on the side of strongly rejecting scientific racism, embracing instead the role of the environment, say, rather than inherited traits informing personalities. So tell us about that. What evidence did you uncover for this understanding?
0: Yes, Yeah, particularly by the end of the 19th century, you do see some pretty clear cases of of atheists arguing explicitly against scientific racism. Um, so just, well, just two, two people I'll talk about quickly. Um, in, in, uh, in Britain, there was this guy called J.M. Robertson, who is was uh, Scottish uh, and a freethinker. Um, so he was very much opposed to these ideas of, of scientific racism, and he's, he wrote, wrote a number of uh, works um, arguing against it, I think one, of, probably the main, the main one is this book called, um, the Saxon and the Celts when he see sort of argues uh, like in, in the late 19th century, um, there was this idea that, um, you know, all of history could or, or, or the history of Europe could, could be explained by the different sorts of white races who were, who were there. Um, so it wasn't the case that all white people were seen as the par- part of the same race. There were different divisions, so Saxons and Celts and Mediterraneans and, and so on. Um, anyway, uh, in in this work, J.M. Um, Robertson is really uh, criticizing this view and saying that it's a lot more important. Uh, biology is not is not that important. It's really all about um, your your environment or your sort of your socio political context. These are the things that really matter and not not some kind of uh, ideas about different races. Um, so that's Robertson. Uh, in the U.S., there was a guy called um, James F. Morton, who was another <clears throat> white atheist uh, was active in the free thought scene at the end of the 19th century and the start of the, the 20th. And actually, he, he wrote this book um, in 1906 called "The Curse of Race Prejudice," where he really makes a strong case against uh, against prejudice based on race, and yeah, does it from a secular perspective. So he, and, and from a Darwinian perspective, you know, he he says, well, you know, Darwin shows that we're all um, we we're, we're all descended from a common ancestor. So if that's true and racism doesn't make any sense because we're all related and any sort of differences that might exist are, are really trivial and not, not that important. Um, so that's, uh, so these two, uh, fairly prominent, uh, free thinkers in the late, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century are beginning to, yeah, really come out, um, and explicitly argue against, against these ideas of scientific racism that were sort of popular around this uh, this time. Hmm.
1: So your book brings together such important findings and really sheds light on a corner of intellectual thought that's been previously overlooked. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think your research can tell us about the intersection of religious and racial views today?
0: Yeah, it's it's a question I sort of consider um, at the end of my book. Um, although I, def- I definitely think, you know, to, to look at, uh contemporary issues I think would be another a book in itself. But I, I do talk about that a bit um at the end of my book. So I think well there's a number of different sort of threads that, that one can uh can pick up. Um I think the one is to say that I sort of identified I guess in the book that there is this tradition among uh atheists and other non non religious people about um, you know questioning ideas of racism. And I definitely, I mean, I think that that trend is has continued, and I think many or most atheists today have uh, quote unquote uh, progressive views about race. Um, so that's sort of one one thread. But another thing that I kind of talk about in the conclusion is that. Um, atheists do have this kind of skeptical mindset and that it's also informed by um, the sort of the historical fact that atheists have often been um, outsiders in their society, which, which leads them to be skeptical even more so of any uh, sort of received truths in society or, or um, questioning taboos. So in the 19th century, um, this led some atheists to question ideas of racial superiority because that was sort of the, the given, um, the given belief. But now I think, um, uh, today the sort of standard view, I guess, is that all races are equal. And so this, that, that fact that it's, it's sort of the, the conventional view, the accepted view has led some atheists. I mean, not, not all, not most just some uh, uh, some uh, segment of, of atheists to kind of question this this uh, idea that all races are equal so sort of um, anecdotal but you sort of see um, on social media for example some atheists uh, individuals sort of willing to explore ideas that that um, yeah, there are racial differences and racial differences, for example, in IQ. Um, so they're, they're interested sort of in in breaking, you know, breaking this taboo of, of racial equality. Um, and also in the in the conclusion, I talk a little bit about uh, the alt-right, this sort of rebranded, I guess, sort of white supremacist movement. Um, but I quote from... Uh, Richard Spencer, who is sort of the may, it was, I think he, he coined the term alt-right and I guess he's one of the major figures. Um, but anyway, I quote, uh, an interview from him where he says, you know, the average, um, he's talking about the average member of the alt-right and he, he sort of gives a different demographics and he said, with regard to religion, they're probably non-religious or atheist. So I think that's, that's sort of, uh, an interesting thing that there's a sort of secular um, secular wing of the white supremacist movement. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think in contemporary uh, world, there's all sorts of intersections, I guess, between uh, race and racism and, and atheism.
1: Yeah. It's a really interesting way of breaking down, uh, the way people interact with each other. Um, well, Nathan, I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show and telling us about your book. But before you go, can you tell us what you're currently working on?
0: Yeah, so my my current academic project is, um, I'm looking actually at the history of, of the word racism. Um, so that was a sort of an issue that that I came, uh, came up with, um, like writing this book. Um, thinking about sort of the language I might be using in the book, so racism is sort of a more um, the word itself is is a more modern word that it, it really doesn't become widely used until the twentieth century. So one of the things I was thinking about as I was writing this book um, was um, you know whether whether I should be using the word racism because it's not it's not a term that people in the nineteenth century had. So that that sort of made me interested in the history of the word um so so the plan is is that will be another book potentially um, the so history of the word racism um yeah, so that's that's sort of my my other academic project that's that's happening right now.
1: Great. All right. Well, as I said, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed your book. I was really glad to have a chance to chat with you in person about it. It was very cool to be approached uh, on social media. So that was great. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I will wish you a good afternoon for now. Goodbye.
0: Thanks. Bye.
1: I want to thank you for listening to New Books in Secularism, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Once again, I'm Carrie Lynn Evans, and I've been speaking with Nathan Alexander about his new book, Race in a Godless World, Atheism, Race and Civilization. If you'd like to find out more about Nathan and what he's written, check out his website at NathanGAlexander.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write us a positive review on iTunes, post about us on social media or tell a friend. The New Books Network is a not-for-profit organization, so all the buzz you can help us generate goes a long way to supporting this work. I'm also interested in hearing from you about your thoughts on this podcast and the material we cover. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Linland. That's at C-A-R-R-I-E-L-Y-N-N-L-A-N-D. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you have a book you'd like covered on one of our shows? Contact us through our website, newbooksnetwork.com. Also, be sure to like the New Books in Secularism channel on Facebook and Twitter, where you'll see every time we post a new interview. In the meantime, I'll wish you an à la prochaine from Quebec until my next conversation about new books in secularism.